We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If winning ugly is truly the sign of a championship season, then Arsenal have one hand on the trophy. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. We won. We got not one point, not two points, but three points from Premier League fixture at Leeds. That puts us, checks table, four points clear at the top of the table. If you have a takeaway from Sunday's game, bigger than Arsenal are four points clear at the top of the table, then my hope is this podcast will change your opinion about that. It wasn't uh, It wasn't perfect. Let's put it that way. It wasn't perfect. I think it's the kind of ugly win that, you know, the framing really matters because you could frame this, say, this is the kind of win that shows you can go on to win the title when you don't have your best football. Or you could say, oh, this is the sign of the, the first cracks in the football. I don't know. I don't know. We're going to get to all of that. I think it was an ugly enough game that we could set it aside and maybe just spend about an hour saying, what is a Darwin Nunez? If you want to watch the scouting video we did on Patreon, you can see what a Darwin Nunez is, which is a running behind merchant who can't do much else. But my goodness, Liverpool, do beat City. Do us a favor, putting, I, I think it's fair to say, one hand on the title. I know later we'll talk to Paul, who is convinced that it's title or bust for us this season and any other ambitions. Uh, I, I think any other ambitions would not just be a disgrace, but you know, potentially a betrayal. A betrayal. Yeah, fold the club. Um, oh, quickly, I want to let you know something. We are giving away a pair of tickets to Arsenal versus Brighton in the Carabao Cup. We, that's right. We're giving away a pair of tickets to Arsenal versus Brighton in the Carabao Cup. You have this week to enter. All you have to do is email competition at arsenalvisionpodcast.com. That's competition at arsenalvisionpodcast.com. You can see all the terms and conditions on our website, by the way. If you go there and go under stuff, you'll see the Carabao Cup competition. Here's all you have to do. Email, and you can answer one of two questions. One is, how many losses did Arsenal have in the 2003-2004 season? The other question you could answer is, which of Tottenham's Premier League titles is your favorite? Which of Tottenham's Premier League titles is your favorite? Again, that's competition at arsenalvisionpodcast.com. You can win tickets, a pair of tickets, to Arsenal versus Brighton. The 
uh, date of that game is November. Tim helps me out because I can't remember. Ninth. Ninth. There it is. November 9th. Um, so good luck, everybody. You have this week. I will be drawing the winners um, on Friday evening, U.S. time. And uh, you can be there at the Emirates, which is an electrifying place to be these days. And you certainly want to be there. Because Arsenal are four points clear, top the title, uh, top the table. And Tim, they are trying innovative ways to stop us, including not letting the game start on time. I think any conversation about the Leeds game has to start with the Leeds game not starting. Uh, it didn't start at the time it was supposed to. Tim's on Twitter. Stoberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. <laughs> Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Hello, pause. Woohoo. Clive's on Twitter. Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. 628 episodes, and by the time we get to, I don't know, 850, I figure I will have this thing nailed down. <laughs> uh, look, I am just uh, trying to emulate the experience of the start of the Leeds game, which is a stop-start affair because of technology glitches. I do have to say, Tim, it is quite ironic that Twitter was abuzz with complaints about, ah, you, how can you... How can you not play a football match when you got a football? You got 11 players. You got people in the stands. We're ready to kick off. Oh, you need your VAR. And then, of course, of course, VAR saves our ass at the end and is the reason why we hold on to win. So uh, I take back everything I said. I did wonder why they couldn't just, like, give each referee an AirPod and their cell phone and get on with it. Like, (laughs) there are actually a lot of ways, but it turns out there's goal line tech and things like that. But what I'm really interested in getting from you is your opinion on the impact, if anything, of that delay and not being able to start the game in, in sort of a traditional manner um, on the on the performance that we put out, maybe uh, both teams or or anything that you see as the impact, Arsenal have been a fast starting team this season. And for professional athletes, routine is such an important part of how you perform. So do you have any thoughts on the fact that there was a delay at all and what it may have done to the start of the game or start of our performance? Yeah, sure. So first off, no, they can't do all of that with like without VAR and goal line technology because then you have an unequal season. That's the yes. thinking behind it. You can't have a game, just a random game, that isn't officiated the same way as all the others. Otherwise, you're into court of court for arbitration of sport territory. <laughs> if we win this game 1-0 without the tech, Leeds are going, uh, excuse me, this game has yep. been officiated differently and we either have to replay it or it goes through the courts. And uh, I'm willing I watched... to bet they wish that they played it without the tech now, though. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, otherwise, or maybe we go to the court of arbitration there for you sport. Um, yeah, and I've watched enough South American football to know uh, what happens when that happens. Um, so anyway, but as for the impact, I, I actually don't think it was necessarily a bad thing for us. I was sitting there thinking, I mean, I was sitting there thinking a number of things, like I'm on a stream here and I don't know how how much life it's got in it and i could really do without 40 minutes of just looking at crowd shots um but i i kind of think yes we've been starting games quickly but if there was any game we weren't going to start quickly it was probably going to be this one and if there was a game where our opponents were going to try and start quickly it was definitely going to be this one i think that's you know if your leads of course you say that of course you say they've been in norway on thursday they're not prepared you know, they've had like a preparation. They've had like one preparation day. If that, let's get at them. And, you know, the Leeds crowd, and they're that type of team anyway. They're a high turnover team. They press you to death. So I, I always thought that Leeds, if anything, that, you know, 
if if mm. this were the Leeds United Vision podcast, we'd probably <laughs> be saying uh, we probably lost a bit of a chance there to really like the way the second half went is kind of how I thought the first half might go in this game. Actually, this game actually ended up being a little bit back to front for what I expected. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, the other thing I thought was no matter what happens here there's going to be some post-hoc analysis about who this did and didn't suit. But actually, I think I was proved wrong in that because Leeds finished so strongly and we were kind of hanging on. I think it kind of negates that post-hoc analysis. So to be honest, I don't think it had a massive impact, but if it did, I think it might have gone in our favour. And to be honest, like when it did happen, I was like, this probably suits us more than Leeds. And it just gave me that little feeling that, Maybe the marginals were going to be on our side on the day. And to be honest, I think the marginals were more than on our side on the day. Yeah. Um, You don't win every single football match purely on quality. You need some luck because the margins are small. Um, And and we had it go for us in this game for sure. Paul, I think the narrative after the game is that it was a really ugly win and that we were pretty well battered. I think that may be true of the second half. Not maybe true. Let's be honest. It is true of the second half. I'm not sure it's so true of the first half, which was more of a back and forth kind of affair with them running at us, us playing some beautiful football back to front, actually, and creating some openings going the other way. If you don't mind, what I'd like to do is just cover a few of the moments, just a a couple moments here. So the first one I have is the Jesus miss. I don't think this was a great Jesus game, a little bit sloppy, but more than anything, he struggled to get into the game. But he does have a decent chance early, and it is it is really sensational play. It might have been our best play from the game, and if it had resulted in a goal, I think it would have been one of those clips that you'd see all season. It's interesting. It comes from a scramble in the box with Ramsdale making an excellent save from a corner. And from the resulting move, we play this beautiful flowing back-to-front football, and Martinelli plays a really lovely pass through the box that I think uh, Shaka dummies to Odegaard. Odegaard just about gets it out of his feet to Jesus, and Jesus goes over the bar. And we did have a few back-to-front moves like that, but for me, that was that was a really nice move and and a, certainly not an easy chance, but one you expect Jesus to finish. Yeah, uh, especially when it's followed by the Saka chance a little later on where it's like, do, do either of them... Is Jesus is a better chance than Saka's? Probably, but they're both kind of fairly similar. Um, this one feels like one you can't miss, but you absolutely can. He's got he's got uh, the keeper in the way. He's got to get it just right under the bar. He's a little closer, and the angle's a little less acute. I yeah. Uh, it felt like it went in with this one, whereas the Saka one, I'm like, there's no way that's gone in. Mm-hmm, um exactly. We did have some nice passages of play. I think we played a little bit in bursts. Um, they had this 4-3-3 three, three that uh, you know Clive talked about well on the instant reaction. They were very compact, high energy, closed us down. Um, and so we didn't get a lot of these chances to play through them. But we did in the first half in particular. We strung it together. Maybe we were mm-hmm. just jaded in the second half because we it didn't seem like we could get at them in the same way. But we created some really good quality chances. That was definitely one of them. Uh, Odegaard to uh, Chaka spins it out to Martinelli. Martinelli with the ball through the box that uh, Ch- uh, Chaka j- uh, jumps over and, yeah, uh, yeah. creates the opportunity for Jesus. Um, I, I thought this was a game, looking back on it, 
where last season I'd feel, God, you needed one of your big players to step up to do something. And in the first half, one of our big players stepped up and did yeah. something. Yeah, it's Saka. Um, and and it's a sensational finish. And Tim typed this into the chat, so I'll just steal it. He's on his weak foot, and so he, yeah. you know, he doesn't have the ability to sort of think about a cultured finish. He's just got to smash it, and he does. And it, and and it's a beautiful goal. But before that, um, there's another moment that I thought Clive was was poorly refereed. Actually, talk about sensational back to front play. Um, we again play back to front beautifully. I think Jesus is involved in that back to front buildup, and then. At the very end, Jesus is fouled at the top of the box, but as he's going down, he manages it to poke it to Martinelli out on the left. He's in the box. He's unmarked. And the ref pulls it back for a foul. And I, I thought that's unfortunate because that was a really beautiful move. I mean, in general, d- during that spell, it felt very back and forth to me. We couldn't get control of the game, but we... We were certainly playing our part in it and maybe creating the more dangerous moves. So what's what's your feeling around that portion, that first half hour leading up to Saka's goal? Do you think that we were sort of worthy participants rather rather than the way the game wound up ending? Yeah, I'll try and stay in that period because I've got some thoughts about the period when we weren't in charge, and I'll say them for We're going to come to that. We'll spend a lot of time on that. Um, yeah, I thought we were, we were fine. Uh, we've got used to just being brilliant. <laughs> so like mm-hmm. from the very first preseason game we've just been brilliant right every moment i think apart from 10 minutes game manchester united at the start maybe five or ten minutes after half time we've just been really good right so we've got loads of punch up front good defenders that drop off it's, it's it's been lovely loads of loads of lovely shapes but we were competitive at the start of this game and then we got we went into our brilliant phase which I think Odegaard was the big reason why we were so good in that phase, mm. pushing the ball through legs. And it, it it was always edgy. The whole feeling leaping off the stream was, we're in a game here. I think the crowd played a big part. We know we've know we been doing the same thing yep. at the Emirates, right? The crowd played a big part. And, and it was a contest, but there was a period where we were arrogantly good. You know, playing moves, smiling, enjoying the game. Maybe forgot to score the second goal. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We were arrogantly yeah. good. You know my little phrase, we played 2-0 football at 1-0. You know? And it was maybe, we were going through that phase at that period. And But I was absolutely fine with it at the time, thinking, don't worry, we'll sit down at half-time, we'll get our, we'll get ourselves together. I maybe forgot mm-hmm. that we were in Norway on Thursday and we are bound to run out of juice, right? So, um, But I, I was comfortable earlier. I thought we were fine in that period. It was a competitive game. Leeds sat down all week, ready, preparing us. They sat there watching us in front of the whole nation on Sunday versus Liverpool, and they had a plan, and they, they blocked our centre, pushed us to the outsides, and made us work for every inch in those outside pods. They made us work. And when we mm-hmm. broke free, we looked great. When we didn't, we... We had to go back and forth, right? So, so yeah, I was pretty encouraged, but obviously, I misread the second half completely, like everybody else did, right? And and how the game changed. But we'll we'll come we'll come into that. Yeah, yeah, and I think in general, the the thing that we know about Leeds is that they're a very combative side. They lead the league in tackles, and they had this is an astonishing number. They attempted 23 tackles in the first half. 23 tackles. We, a- 
average like 14 in a game. They averaged 22 for a game. I think they finished with 35 attempted tackles, 23 at halftime. So they had the energy, they had the they had the combativeness to really force us to be precise. And there were times playing back to front when we got the precision right, and that's when we crafted some beautiful moves. But I don't think we always had that flawless precision needed against a team that is that sort of in your shorts, ready to challenge you the moment you get the ball. One thing that I think is it has been an interesting talking point this season, though, Clive, is that there's this sense that Bukayo Saka, or maybe I'm wrong, I have the sense that Bukayo Saka has almost been muted this season. That like the, Not that he hasn't been good, but that there's more he can do, that there's more to come from him. And yet, here he is, scoring another important goal. I think he's now, is he tied with Jesus for to be our our top goal scorer? Plus, he's got all the assists. Now, to be fair, some of those tap-ins, whatever, they all count. Some of Jesus's are tap-ins. Um, it's just a byproduct of the way we've been playing. But what, do you, what are your thoughts on Saka having such an influential season, despite in some ways taking a back seat to other players who are getting headlines because, you know, he wins us this game and you look at the numbers and he's right there at the top of the team for everything that matters. Yeah, he seems to be growing up. It depends how you want to look at it. If you think, well, he needs to be better in this game and that game, then absolutely fine. He's going to play, what, 50-plus games this season, hopefully. He's got, he's got a World Cup that's going to drain him. He's going to potentially start in half of those games, mm-hmm. maybe sharing some time with Sterling and Foden for England. Because the manager's stupid, right? But but we'll leave that one aside. Um, so I I take the view that both him and Martinelli have learned how to rest in games. Mm-hmm. And if anything, in this game, we missed them defensively. I'll come to that later in the in the in the podcast. But I'm I'm all I'm all, I'm alright with it, right? Without his last two goals, we we we're having two nil nils or or maybe potentially losing. Mm-hmm. So. We have no true like backup for Martinelli and Saka. If they want to have a dead 20 minutes, mate, so they can play the next game, I'm absolutely fine with it. If we had another sprinting wide man we could put into his team, we'd all be comfortable and he'd be coming off earlier and resting. But we're having to play him longer and he's having to take periods of time off in games the fact he's 21 he has maturity to understand how to impact football matches and with output and execute is unbelievable he's 21 and he's learned how to do a 7 out of 10 jogging mm. literally that's what he's doing and when he turns it on for 10-15 minutes normally the game's done right so a lot of his best periods much like Odegaard are the decisive periods in the match for us and yeah. uh, I think that's a credit to him for someone so young. He's able to yeah. switch off and switch up when he, when he can. Yeah, he deserves huge credit. And it is it is the case that while I'm not sure he is at his best yet, which is, again, a, a compliment to him, the, the hallmark of great players is that they make critical contributions, and he's doing that. And we are sh- sharing it around between Martinelli and Jesus and Saka and Odegaard and even Shaka. We're sharing it around. And, you know, I, I think if you look at where we've gotten goals from in the last few seasons, we haven't had that one talisman. I mean, we, we did when Aubameyang was sort of winning golden boots, but the last season or two, we haven't had a talisman, but we haven't had other players contributing either. Now, I'm not sure Jesus is going to be, well, he's not going to be up there in golden boot land with uh, Mr. Roboto, but he he may be up there with the the chasing pack, but 
even still we're sharing it around and, and we're getting the goals more than the goals we need really. Tim, one more thing during that first half in the period where we were, I don't know that we were ever good, but we were certainly in it and, and contributing to the match. I think being a, a good, evenly contested affair is Saliba on the ball. I, I think this is probably Saliba's weakest game for us just in terms of maybe getting exposed defensively. But even in that, you see how important he is to our ability to build from the back and control any kind of possession. He led all players with 89 passes attempted, completing 82 of them at 92% completion. The guy is just incredible on the ball. I mean, Gabriel was second, I think with like 30 fewer passes. Um, And we'll come on to Gabriel in a bit. But I, you know, I think that obviously defenders, much like keepers, their first job is not to make defensive errors because everything else they do is meaningless if they make defensive errors. But I, I am curious how you evaluate a player like Saliba because while I do think this was his sort of weakest in inverted commas game in terms of his defensive positioning, I just don't, I don't think maybe we have priced in to our evaluation of this team what it means to have a center back who can play 90 passes at 90 plus percent every single game. And I think in this game, I noticed it more in that first half where he was just so silky, the ability to collect, control, turn, and get it up to party or get it out to one of the fullbacks and start us going the other way. Yeah, absolutely. Particularly in the first half, there was lo- there were loads yeah. of like just no fucks given <laughs> mm-hmm. yep. type kind of, you know, leads, they press and they press and they play for high turnovers and he he just didn't care. He was just like, okay, that's fine. In fact, I've got, um, I've got the impression, I remember t- talking to a um, very similar defender in the women's team, Leah Williamson, about this a few years ago and she said like, I... I I spoke to her about like, oh, teams are like marking you more and coming on. And she said, yeah, I like that. Like, I like that. It makes me feel like more engaged in the Mm. game. Like I I like being put under pressure and I get that impression from Saliba as well, that almost like the more pressure you put on him on the ball, the more, the more he likes it. We're going to have to, I think, accept that there's going to be one day where that's going to go wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's, there is going to be a time where he tries to do a three-point turn under pressure and it's not going to happen and someone's going to go through one-on-one. But, I mean, I, I don't get that feeling when he's on the ball. I just don't. I just, like, he's another one where, like, my 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 heart rate drops. And I just, I just think overall, um, I, I, like, going back a little bit to your previous question about the attack because I think it goes for the defence as well. Do you remember in August we were talking about the Saka thing and the Erdegaard thing and, um, you know, about like, oh, it all seems to be happening on the left side at the moment and we were saying like, yeah, but teams watch that. They're mm-hmm. going to be watching all that and they know now about Xhaka's runs. They know about Martin and they know about those rotations on the left side. So what have Arsenal done the last couple of games? They win it on the right wing again. And that's the whole point in having like a spread of talent. And do you remember I kept saying during August, there will be Saka days, there'll be Erdegaard days, there'll be yep. Martinelli days. Jesus was off it, right? This was by quite a long way his least effective performance. Mm-hmm. Didn't matter one piece of quality in this game for for everything Leeds did and for all the justification they'll have about feeling aggrieved about this result, there was one piece of quality in this game and it was Sakura and Erdegaard who provided it. Job done, 1-0. And so there are different days for different attackers and I think yeah. it's the same in defence. And actually, as much as 
you're quite right about Saliba, and I know we'll talk about him. This was a Gabriel day. This was the day that, you know, we were all talking about, like, you need your, like, Pear needs his Koscielny, Adams needs his Keown, Ferdinand needs his Vidic. And when you're in control of the game, Saliba looks super, super... When you're the Rolls-Royce, Saliba is, like, he's the man at the wheel. But this was, this was a bit more... This was a bit more of a bumper car affair this time, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's when you need your Gabrielle, when you need your last-minute blocks and you need someone to just head the ball out of the box and put his body on the line and everything, particularly in the second half because we saw that maybe, I think probably who played on Thursday night played into that. Um, Saliba did and Gabriel didn't and I think you saw a bit of a difference there but this was the first time perhaps we saw in a defensive sense uh, Saliba a little bit ruffled and that's when his mate stepped in and said okay they're getting in our usually you're so good they don't even get in our 18 yard box but they're getting in our 18 yard box now that's where I'll take over and and that's what I thought was really really I think that that shows you we've got a good partnership there um, between those two I agree. And as we come to the period where we're a bit under siege, I, I think there are different type of defenders. If you're going to play that high line and ask your defenders to really be the start of your ball progression and, you know, a, a, a channel towards creativity, Saliba's as good as they get. If you're going to be packed into your box a little bit more and push back and you need someone who really enjoys defending and last-ditch defending and desperate defending, I, I think Gabriel is the better of those players. Um and and we'll come on to Gabriel more fully later. And they can I, they know. can both do both as well. Like like that we're talking about like their strengths here, but they can both do both. Like Saliba's brilliant at defending his penalty area. Gabriel's really like I don't feel funny about Gabriel being on the halfway line. I don't feel scared when he has the ball. He progresses the ball no. well. But but yeah, it's you know it's just bits and pieces, isn't it? Yeah, I mean we did the Liverpool rewatch, Clive and I, and, and some of Gabriel's long passes over the top were fantastic in that game. And I think he's underappreciated. It's funny when you look at the data, I always have to be like, really him? Because he's right up there for like XG buildup stats and all this stuff, like near the top for us. And I keep thinking like, really? He, he is. But then you watch again and he, you see the things that maybe don't catch the eye on first watching. He's got, I, I, he's got the line. He's got the left footed line clip to Martinelli yeah. back spinning into him. Yeah. He's got that down pat mate. And that's, you his, know what? His he, pass. And he can also whip it into he, Jesus right centre forward. He's got those two passes and that's his stock move. Yeah, definitely. He he ruined um, an article I wrote on Ben White in August because I was like, I'm going to look at the ball progression stats and I think Ben White's going to be top of all of them. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. I looked at it and I was like, nope. oh no, Gabriel There's leads Gabriel. in all of this. <laughs> Paul, I, I think we sometimes have the tendency to only look at our performance. And as we start to pivot towards the part of the game where we didn't have really any of it go our way, I mean, we had all of it go our way from a luck standpoint, but very little from the football standpoint, I think it's a good time to sort of highlight what Leeds did. Again, I, I mentioned they made 34 tackles in this game. They had 23 at halftime. We, by the way, had 22 tackles, far beyond what we usually do. It was a very combative game. They only had 10 fouls. We had 11. I mean, to make 34 tackles and only foul 10 times... It, they were really on it physically. And there's always a tendency when a team plays us well and we don't have our game to say, oh, we stunk. What did we do wrong? Why were we off our game? And very rarely do we say, 
this team was very good and here's what they did well. I think my analysis of this game certainly is going to cover the question of fatigue. And I, I do wonder if you have any thoughts on that component of it. You know, we have had a couple of debates now following a couple of midweek games where first team players were used. And I think all of us tried to be pretty circumspect and come down on the side of, you know, hey, they understand periodization. They would have had a combative, aggressive um, training had they not had the Thursday night game. Splitting the game in a low-quality, low-intensity Europa League game is probably less straining than than even the training would be. I felt strongly that way um, about the home game against Bodo Glimt. I was less sure about that game away. On a plastic pitch, you know, different impact on joints and the cold, long travel, you're sitting on a coach, you're sitting on a plane. So, I mean, I'm curious if you, because after the game, Mikel Arteta said we were tired. Do you think that that forces a rethink of the strategy of how we use midweek? I mean, we are four points clear at the top of the table. If we want to even dream about this turning into anything, we're going to have to be real careful about how we manage minutes. It's not going to be easy. For example, that Brighton game that we're giving away tickets to, like I I wouldn't be using anybody in that game. Throw the game. Who cares? Uh, the PSV game upcoming, it begs the question, if we were really tired in this game, is it time to start thinking about being not tired for the next game. So are you having any second thoughts about player utilization in midweek and how Mikel's going to have to manage? Because the funny thing is, we've never actually seen Mikel really effectively manage a congested fixture schedule. I mean, he's done it during Project Restart. The seasons where we've had Europa League that Mikel was manager haven't gone great. So this, and again, this is just the point that it's a new challenge for him to show us his development as a manager. He's shown us so much that we obviously couldn't be more excited about what he's shown us. But I think this is another thing for him to show us now. And I'm curious if you think that it requires a bit of a rethink. Uh, Probably something that he and the team and the squad need to learn to manage because it's also on the players. You know, Clive Mm -hmm. talked eloquently about uh, players resting in games and like across the season, Players need to know when to be when their moment to burn energy on the pitches, mental energy on and off the pitch, and that's part of being a young team. Old players, experienced players, your Real Madrids, they pick their moments in games. They pick their games in seasons. Um, they know where to expend their physical and mental energy. Uh, I'm reminded in this game because before the game, Arteta talked about fatigue too. Um, that it was a concern for him coming into this. And after the game, he talked about it. And I remember the interlull last year where things came, came undone just after the interlull and we're like, well, what's different here? Uh, I remember before we played that first game in the run of three games we lost, Arteta talked about psychological fatigue of the players who'd been away playing in the interlull. And that was a concern for him. So I think he's like, he's, he's had all of that experience as being part of a squad that's running the most intensive, uh, schedule you can across the season. So he's seen it all. He knows it all. I'm not, he may still need to tighten up his decision-making, but he's got 
all of that experience of seeing Man City across four competitions and the choices you make and why and what happens to the player and what doesn't. And he's part of all of that. Um, and so if he has something to learn, I think he'll get there real quick. But I've actually been impressed by how he calls in advance when we're going to get into a little bit of trouble. He talked about fatigue before this. He talked about uh, fatigue, psychological fatigue bef- uh, at, at the end of the interlull and before we went on that run. And he ca- called it and he spotted it. What's interesting about the Boda Glimt game is we were heavily rotated. And if you look across yeah, the... Mm-hmm. Yeah, but maybe it's just bringing everybody... Uh, up up to the the North Pole and back, having no yeah. prep time and the contrast with Leeds with their high energy. But as we said, it was a very good in patches first half. Like you, it's a classic. You rewatch that first half; it's way better than you thought it was. The the series of of times we play out and how we manage it. It's a really good ding dong battle, but we got all the quality. The second half is where the problem is, and there's a few things that go on there. Obviously. Bamford is brought on because Tim Stillman demanded it across WhatsApp for some reason. Oh, yeah. I got to just stop you for one second and give Tim his due. In our WhatsApp chat, he's like, oh, you know, I think Rodrigo and and Bamford probably split share this game. And he he gave a really eloquent explanation for why. And he said it wouldn't surprise me if at halftime Bamford came on. And sure enough, it happened. It was bloody insider trading, that was. It was was crazy. I wish I could have bought shares in it. Go ahead, (laughs) Paul. But... uh, uh, and like it's too easy to say the second half was all about Bamford, but it sure felt that way. Uh, but it was certainly like I don't know. I don't know how you can look at it and not think we started to play within our energy. And if we maybe if we tried to do more than that in the second half, the the rips in the seams in the threading would have come apart and the holes would have been there. So we kind of we hunkered in a bit on some games you look to see out because that's what's there for you i don't know second yeah. half's a bit of a mystery for me i've rewatched the first i haven't seen the second again the first i'm pretty happy with yeah and and here's the only problem with sort of the post hoc rethinking of whether fatigue did it and again the manager said we were tired but you know if i look at the players that for me seem to struggle in this game I thought Thomas Party had some challenges when they pressed him. He didn't start in Boda Glimt. Jesus had his worst game in an Arsenal shirt. It's certainly his least influential game. He didn't even make the trip. So, you know, you can go through the team and say, here are the players I think were off their best. Saliba off his best. He started at Boda Glimt, right? So there may have been something there. But as I mentioned, his passing was still as good as ever. Tomiyasu looked a little shaky to me. Didn't play Boda Glimt. So, I, you know, I don't know that it totally holds that it's fatigue from the the Bodo game, although it could be. Tim, do you have uh, updated thoughts on how we manage Thursday to Sunday? Because even if it wasn't the Bodo Glimp game that impacted this, this is going to be a story of the season, and not just before the World Cup. Post-World Cup is going to be extremely crowded. And look, we don't have the squad depth of a city. Mikel's going to have to make hard choices, even in Premier League games, about, do I start in Kedia? Do I start Vieira yeah, over yeah. Odegaard? Do I start Sambi over Party? It's not just going to be about Thursdays. By the way, you're not going to be able to put the same guys out for 38 games, most likely with the fixtures lined up the way they are this season. Yeah, definitely. I listened to the conversation you guys had after the Bodo Glimp game, and and I think it, it's one of those things where there isn't a perfect solution. Yeah. So I, I kind of fall down on the side of, yeah, 
do that team in Bodo Glimp, get the group one, because then you kind of, if things go right, get the last two games off. But you also, you have to acknowledge the risk on the other side. So when people say, yeah, but what if like this had happened? Like, yeah, that could happen. That is absolutely a risk. Yep. Um, and, and you do have to acknowledge that. And, and Arteta will know that. He's not going out there going, oh, they won't get like, yeah, Saka might have gotten trodden on and we might like that could have happened okay it, it's actually relatively low risk but it's risk nonetheless but there and and so you do have to acknowledge that there is also risk in the other direction though and I do think there's something in Jesus not playing as well and perhaps you know he wasn't with the team for a couple of days I don't even know if he trained if he did he would have trained on his own and then just coming into the team getting on the bus with them like we don't know if that had anything to do with it but it could yeah. well have done and so there is when you're when you're doing these things there is risk in both directions there is no risk free and you you've kind of just got to pick the bones out of it and ultimately you're kind of out of control of some of it but i think um what i kind of want to finish that thought on is i think the way managers approach these is they approach games almost like blocks and i think you very much like mentally most of us would have blocked tottenham and liverpool together and then there was the bodo glimpse home game in there and you get through that and it's big and it's an emotional and there's loads of adrenaline and it all goes well for us and then I think you block Bodo Glimpse and Leeds together and it's mm. like right these are slightly lower key games but they're away it's not going to be like riding the emotional high we're away from home in both of them both difficult places to go and like it's not going to be 3-2 and 3-1 like exhilarating Emirates 60,000 like we're going to have to dig these out basically and i and i think look we did that now don't get me wrong again i think we have to acknowledge we probably deserve to lose both of those games and we could have very easily so as much as i am much more on the side of yeah we dug out one nil wins when we didn't play well brilliantly just like we have to acknowledge the risk of picking guys in the Europa League, you do have to acknowledge we could have lost both those games 2-1 mm-hmm. but very easily and we'd be having a very different conversation. So you've got to play the margins a bit, but I think the coaches and the players know that and I think yeah. they'll seal these two games off and go, right, that was the block we were talking about, Thursday, Sunday, away, get rid of that and now like the block is PSV Southampton i really think that's how managers approach it both mentally and in terms of their team selection yeah all right well clive i'm going to come to you with the tactical question of the day so i i hope you're sharpening up your thinking right now so you're thinking sharp have you sharpened up your thinking yes sharper than my answer do you know what else is sharp <laughs> No. Do you know what else you is tell sharp? me, Elliot? I got a good guess, mine, but you tell me. The ceramic blades and skin-safe technology, the Lawnmower 4.0. That's right. It is the perfect tool for grooming your body. This is the Manscaped advertisement. If you haven't figured it out by now, cue haunted music. Michael Myers sure is scary, but the last thing you need to be is hairy this Halloween. Luckily, our friends at Manscaped launched their fourth-generation performance package to make sure your pumpkins get the ultimate carving experience on this spooky day. Turn your no. No, Mm -mm. skip that. Go to manscaped.com. Use promo code ArsenalVision to get 20% off and free worldwide shipping. Okay, look, what is a performance package 4.0? It's a lot of things. It's the Lawnmower 4.0, which I use all the time. Put it in the shower, leave it there. I'm going on like four months since I charged the thing. It's got a long battery life. It's wet, dry. It's got an LED light. So you can actually see what you're doing down there. 
odds are you do some grooming and odds are you have a razor sitting in your shower or something like that right now that you've been using for ages or you bought something off Amazon for like $5 that has cut you more times than it's actually cut any hair off your body. Come on. There's a better way to do this. And the performance package also gets you the weed whacker, which does ear and nose hair. Ear and nose hair is one of those things that like you, you probably don't even notice when it's a problem. So just like get the thing, stick it in your nose and your ears once a week. You're good to go. Just do it. Um, you're going to get the deodorant, the toner. They're really, really nice. Um, boxer briefs, which I love shed travel bag. And they just launched their new body buffer. It's an antibacterial body scrubber. Just what you need to keep fresh and clean this Halloween. Uh, it turns out scrubbing things off your body is as important as shaving things off your body. You can even get the nail kit 2.0. My goodness, you're going to look amazing as you then dress up like a zombie. So, Go for it. Do it now. Go to manscaped.com. Use promo code ArsenalVision. Get 20% off and free worldwide shipping. Manscaped.com. Promo code ArsenalVision. Save 20% and free worldwide shipping. Now that you are looking and feeling your best, you are ready to make your business perform the best. And the only way you can do that is by hiring the best talent. And Indeed is a hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Find top talent fast with Indeed's suite of powerful hiring tools like Instant Match, Assessments, and Virtual Interviews. Hate waiting. Indeed's U.S. data shows over 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a, po a job post. So... What are some of these features? Let's talk about virtual interviews for a minute. We are working remotely now. Hopefully, you have the benefit of working remotely. I know not everybody does, but it is a nice thing. Maybe maybe you want to work remotely. Maybe you want to switch to a job that works remotely. How can a company expect you to come into the home office if you're not going to be working in the home office? That's right. It, it just shrinks the, the pool of talent you can hire from. It shrinks the number of jobs you can apply to. Virtual interviews helps because now you don't have to go to the office. You don't have to meet in person to interview. You can interview from where you are. Saves the business time, saves the uh, candidate time, allows you to expand the pool of talent. You can manage, schedule, and interview top talent all in one place. You don't need any plugins or uh, downloads. It works right from your browser. After using Indeed's virtual interviews, most employers said save them days of hiring time. And it's a better match because you can find someone that wants to work in the way you want them to work. Join over 3 million businesses worldwide using Indeed to hire great talent fast. Indeed knows when you're growing your business, you have to make every dollar count. That's why when you sponsor a job, you only pay for quality applications from resumes in our database matching your job description. Visit Indeed.com slash vision to start hiring now. Just go to Indeed.com slash vision. Indeed.com slash vision. Terms is high cost per application per Is that enough of that? Indeed. Not it. All right, Clive, you sharpen up that wit? I'm ready for you, mate. It's far away. Is your wit as sharp? As sharp as skin safe technology? Oh, I don't know. I need to try the old manscape, didn't I? Let's find out. Let's find out. Let's find out. He says, here we go, Clive. My question to you is what the hell did they do to us? <laughs> what did they do to us? No, so so here's what I saw. I saw leads do something that a lot of teams have tried to do to us. They tried to pack the middle, right? Not you sh thou shall not pass. They really contest the middle. Four, two, three, one. You know that 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 those three players in the middle really, really just block out the light for party. Don't give them the room to turn in space and progress the ball. So what we've done in the past when teams have done that, Liverpool tried to do that a bit, is we've gone out to the wide spaces effectively. And in the first half, we did some of that. I really believe that Ben White had his worst game in an Arsenal shirt. And by the way, he's been 
absolutely brilliant. And this wasn't like a calamity. He just wasn't as sharp as he normally is. You can look at all the data, the passing completion. I thought Tomiyasu looked a little shaky. You know, I think we really miss Zinchenko in this game. I think in games like this where the center gets congested and you need to be able to go out to a half space or a wide space and get some more ball progression, we really miss Zinchenko. But my feeling was Leeds clogged the middle and we didn't have the joy we've been having this season going out wide and getting to our wide pods. And I'm curious if you find that analysis cromulent or if you have another opinion. If it's cromulent, you can just say, Elliot, well done and we can move on. Yeah, well, it's, it's similar to what I said on the Instant Reaction yesterday. So, yeah, I agree with most of that. Well, to be fair, I've got one of those little earpieces that plays back what you're yeah. saying in the Instant Reaction. I'm literally so, like like a television. So, I've, I've thought about it since then. So, they did some things which mm-hmm. other teams would do. So, they, they did like a four, three, like one, three. So, I almost played with a front four diamond, but it's a narrow diamond, right? So... It feels like 11 players, but you, you know. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, we, sorry. So, <laughs> but it's almost like a front four diamond they play with. Sorry, with a two in behind. Apologies. Yeah. yeah. And, um, yeah, yeah. But it's that front four diamond is a key thing with the three narrow up front. And so, so what does that do? It forces into wide spaces. That, that's fine. I'll just stop you for a second. Todd Bully's going to come out and try a 4 3 1. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so. <laughs> if he can't do a, a what was it, a 4 4 yeah. 3? And so they, yeah, okay. they forced into wide areas, which, we, which teams have done before. It's not a drama. And I agree with you about the half spaces. Mm-hmm. But the key thing for me was when we are blocked off there, we have increased physicality at centre forward. The centre forward, you can go to him, he pins people, he holds people. And he lets other people join him. So they can block up part if they want to. We go we can still find a route into Shaka into the centre forward into Odegaard. So we found Odegaard and Saka for a small period. But I think we really missed the physicality of Jesus to go up, set and back in again. We didn't have that today. We couldn't find him. He wasn't as physical. It's been a big change in our team this year, has been the physicality of Jesus. I, I sort of spoke a lot about having a tall forward in our forward group. We In Jesus, we have a tall forward player, physicality-wise, in a smaller body with agility and speed and carrying. But we missed that. We looked lightweight up there. We, if our wide player options were crushed, which on occasions they were fantastic, and on occasions they were crushed. And so that's, that's us on the mm-hmm. ball. Secondly, off the ball... What have we really had? We had a really intense front end with Saka Martinelli and Jesus in particular and Odegaard. Odegaard mm-hmm. looked the brightest yep. physically for me until he faded away. But we didn't have the pressure on the ball. So what could Leeds do in the second half once they found a new target man, a new way of playing? They could play long balls into our areas and push us back. When you're tired, when you're not quite at it and you have a 1-0 win, so one nil lead, what you tend to do, you say, okay, I'm going to save my energies for defensive actions. So rather than press high, you drop away, right? Because they're, they're making room and they're pushing us back territory-wise. So we defend by shape and structure and distances. And so that's all that happened. They've, they've felt the momentum. Momentum was turned and we then couldn't break out. We couldn't get five passes going to build up and break out and stop the waves of attack. So... So what they did in the end, they went to the golf clubs, took the golf club out that they had at Villa last year, Wolves last year. They took those clubs out and said, we need to hold this 
and we need to revert to another game plan, which they've done before. We've done this, haven't we? We've done this exact thing. On come Rob Holding, on come Vieira to add some energy, on come Tierney, because Ben White looked like he was struggling physically for me. And and Tierney may have been a, may have been the player for this game in hindsight, a pure hindsight pick, right? Um yeah, and and we and we pulled that club out, and and in, towards the end, it actually got calmer. It got calmer. We got our passes going. They ran out of energy. So for me, I think we really missed Jesus in this game. It's the biggest factor of all. He may be not ready to play, and my worry was: Did we feel we couldn't trust Eddie earlier to come on and give us something? Are we that dependent on Jesus? That's a worry for me. It's a worry for me. Yeah, because not for this day, because we were we were great. It could be. If you want to say so, it could be the best win of the season because because of the, the journey we had to go through to get it. But I'm looking yeah. forward because I want to dream. And to dream, we need some added physicality if one of our front three is not there, you know, is not able to do it because they're tired. When we go to the bench, I'm not sure we've got quite enough oomph for the day when something could go wrong. And we need to think about that because we saw a non-physical arsenal and what could happen. We ended up defending with the, our last line of defense was our first line of defense. And that's not what we really want. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely think that this is the kind of day that will make them think we should probably strengthen in January if they weren't thinking it already, because there were a couple of players that didn't have it. And I don't think we necessarily trusted the options we had on the bench to replace them. I, I do think that Zinchenko's a big miss. I think if you want to be a team that controls the ball and you want to play high up the pitch, when they shut off those central spaces and it goes out to the you know the wide player who is really a fullback, kind of almost playing like a, a midfielder, they have to be able to progress the ball in the same way almost that party can. They have to be an alternative ball progressor. And you know if you look at City, who are playing the same system, Cancelo is a huge part of how they get around central pressure. And I think Zinchenko plays that role for us. And I, I think, Clive, that I love Tomiyasu and I love what we did with him against the the specific threat of Liverpool trying to play long diagonals onto the head of, of Salah or Salah beating him one-on-one and he did his job. But for a game like this, where the ball comes out to him and he's got to help us get around that that really stifling pressure that Leeds were putting on, I don't think he was as suited to it. Yeah, potentially. And I agree with some of that. And I think... That that happens. You, you sometimes it's just not your day doesn't suit you. But I also think that whole yeah. left side was at his best. I didn't think Shaka was at his best. You know, I thought he looked top. And I and I thought Martinelli faded. And so we managed this situation, didn't we? We managed it. And Tommy Asa defence in his own box was was fine. But maybe if we were sharp and all our game and Jesus was sharp, then we're not in our box. You know, if we progress, we've got Shinchenko and he's fit and bouncing and and we're spinning off the sideline. We're not in our box. We don't see Tomias. We don't see Gabriel. We don't see these players because we're not there. Do you see what I mean? And so, but this is where we were on this day and we brought out the right golf club for this day and managed this game away. And we had those options. Scary, but that's what we had on the day. And hopefully those forward players are resting their legs right now because we're going to need them in the next couple of weeks, right? Yeah, and and I mean, there are there are players that can win you a game that aren't just your strikers or your midfielders. Like your defenders and your goalkeeper can win you a game. And I think Gabriel and and Ramsdale won us this game, and that's they they count. They're players too. We'll come to them in a minute. But Paul, I want to cover a, a, a couple of critical moments as well here. So Bamford coming on really changed the game in some ways. I think he was 
you know, he was really difficult for us to live with, with his direct running. Now, thankfully he can't finish to save his life, but so a, f- a few things. First is the goal that's ruled out for a foul. I listened to the Ars cast and I think Andrew thought it was a little harsh. I think it's a foul. I think, honestly, if you want to be critical of Gabriel for anything, he needs to fly to the ground when that happens, right? Like he needs to, and it, by, by the way, like to his credit, he kind of does it on the penalty incident at the end. And that's why we wind up getting away with it, but he needs to fly to the ground. I think it is a clear push in the back that prevents him from being able to cut it out. So if the push in the back is going to prevent you from being able to cut it out, you really got to sell it. I think he just about sold it, but that's moment one for you. Correct decision to to rule out that goal? Yeah, it was. Um, like it looks soft from all sorts of angles, but from the angle that you should want to see it, which is kind of at 90 degrees to the shove, that's where the referee mm-hmm. is and he gives it immediately. Yeah. It's an absolute shove and it looks a little soft, but if you're good at shoving people in the back and, you know, I think Bamford's a big lad and he times it nicely. It's a good little bump, but it's a shove. He moves him out from under the ball and uh, it looks a bit soft from 45 degrees, from zero degree. Like if you're behind Bamford, it just looks like, hey, that's a bit of physicality in the box. But if you're where the ref was, that's a fucking shove. And he calls it. And uh, he, he got it completely right, I think. But it, it'll look soft from most football watching angles. But Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think it's the right call. And I think the only reason it looks soft is Gabriel's really strong. Yeah. Right. And so he he only moves a little. It's enough to create the advantage for Bamford. If Gabriel flops to the ground, he gets that call every time. Another incident. Saliba, who had a, a couple of errors in him, gives the ball, uh, I think, directly to a Leeds player. I can't remember who it is. Ramsdale comes out and makes a sensational save with his um his nads. His, his shaved privates. Um uh, Look, to, your, I, to your point, Anna, you've been quite critical of Ramsdale occasionally, like with his saves. And in this, in in one particular uh, aspect, and I think this showed that he's responded to it. Like he doesn't just save it with his nads; he parries it out to a safer area. Yeah, which oh, is yeah. what he, we're looking for. He won us this game. Make no mistake. Yeah. Um, no, no, his so, nads. Par- that's the important thing. His nads parried it. Yeah. Yes. 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 Totally understand. Um, so, but yeah, <laughs> I, I thought he did really well coming out. Um, Jesus gave the ball away. Leads were in again. There was a last ditch challenge. I wrote in my notes, "We aren't matching their intensity." This was the period of the game where I felt. If if Arteta felt that we were fatigued, I think this is where he saw it. We we yeah. were failing to match their intensity. And one thing, well, I'll come to this in a minute. We did something so very then, different to the first half, and that is we. Sorry, they did something very different. They pressed aggressively our back line. Like that was Bamford. As soon as it went to a centre back, they pressed and they all went. And they didn't do that in the first half. It was more a, a, a centre block, and then when it went to a player along the sides, they pushed out to the sides. But in this one, they just went like the clappers once Bamford was on. Yeah, they had a really good feel for trapping our fullbacks against the touchline, and then we couldn't get it forward. Um, The penalty. It's a handball. I don't know why Saliba does it. I mean, it... I don't think it's deliberate. I know we all think uh, it is. I think that's... No, no, no. No, Elliot. Uh, Like, there's all the slow slow motion stuff, 
And like once you start watching slow motion, it looks kind of, but he spins around and it catches his hand. Now, I could go either way on it, but I don't think it's deliberate. I think he's unlucky. But you agree it's a penalty regardless, right? Like set the deliberate aside. You can't have your hand in that position. You mean beside your body? Um, Look, I I wasn't shocked it was given. I do think it's he's very unlucky. I don't think it's deliberate, and it's not like he has his arm above his head or straight out from his body. Did you see his reaction? He he thinks it's a penalty. Yeah, because they tend. Yeah, he does, but it tends to be given. Like a guy who deliberately touch a, touches a ball, why would he be going, oh my God, I deliberately touched a ball? Well, put it this way. I didn't think the Gabriel one against Liverpool was a handball, not in a million years. And yeah. Gabriel clearly didn't. This one I think is a penalty. I don't think it's deliberate. I think he's unlucky. I, I wasn't I wasn't surprised it was given. But I don't, like the reason he's got it is he didn't really mean to do it. But anyway, oh, yeah, that's no, my... I, yeah. Well, so here's the thing I was going to say, though. Yeah. The, the really critical thing here is, Bamford misses, but I I think this is a keeper save kind of miss because Ramsdale guesses right and makes a phenomenal leap. And to the extent that any yeah. of that catches Bamford's eye, I think as he's striking that ball, he feels he's got to give it a little something extra because Ramsdale has that whole side of the goal covered. It's a phenomenal leap, and I I think that Ramsdale deserves huge credit for the Bamford miss if such a thing is possible. Yeah, he does seem to cover the whole of the goal there. And like, I don't know how much uh, a penalty taker with his, you know, he's lacking a little confidence. Um, I think when you're lacking a little confidence, you put your head down and hit it. So I don't know that you really push it past if you're in Bamford's place at the moment, but maybe he did. It's certainly, uh, you know, uh, Ramsdale looks like he has it covered. Um, And also the reason in particular that I think uh, justice was served here was that Fecker, I think it's Aronson on the right, is offside. I had a look at, I, I rewatched it and the referee goes to the monitor and he's looking at it and I'm like, it's a shame you can't see the guy standing on the touchline who's bloody offside before the ball comes in. But you can't on the referee's monitor and that's not what they choose to show him. That That is insane that that's not brought back for offside. Like it's genuinely insane. I, I Because... I can't. And they're rewatching it on like, the TV time and it's time again. Offside. Yeah. So wh- why don't they pull it back? Do we have any explanation? Is there some arcane rule we don't know about that's like, or, uh, you know, like if you're pulling it back already to look if an incident was a penalty, you can't pull it back. I mean, there's nothing. There's nothing there. So I got to he, agree. He's a you. good yard, yard and a half off. It's not even close. He's way off. It's very, very weird. Yeah. I'm not going to complain about calls in this game because in the end, we get the one that keeps us the points. I think Shaka deserves huge, huge, huge credit. Not his best game, but he does something so clever. Sinistera is in. The shot is blocked. It's a sensational Gabriel block. Bamford is in. Ramsdale comes out. We are under siege. Shaka goes down with cramp and just stops the game. And everybody goes over to Arteta to get coached up. And... To be fair, I don't know that we got much better, but it's such a thoughtful thing that Shaka did. Now, I wonder if Arteta gave him a shout and was like, go down with Cramp. Clive, you have thought? I just want to add something else on top of that. Sorry, mate, I stopped you in full flow. Mm-hmm. 
I think Shaka was also very, very good with the referee towards the end of the game with those incidents. He was really trying to talk to yeah, referee. Yeah, he was really talking to referee, and he was really trying to talk to Gabriel. But he was doing it in a way where I thought it was not demonstrative. It was calm. It was, and I think he got some attention, which I don't think he's previously got the respect and attention that he, I think he's performed his voice deserved his seniority. He's a hundred cap international player. I really think he had an influence in making sure decisions were reviewed, etc. I really think so. I thought yeah. he did fantastically well at that critical moment where he needs some leadership on the pitch. Well said. Well said. Tim, uh, do you want to add to that? Because then I want to ask you something tactical that I, I think we need to add. I think we need to add a string to our bow that I want to bring up. But thoughts on the the trying to manage that period of the game where we, we were pretty much under siege? Yeah, definitely. I, I think I wanted to say first on Ramsdale, um, he's he's a bit like Gabriel. He's a knife-in-the-teeth player. Mm. He said before that like he likes to banter with the crowd because it like gives him extra incentive almost. Um, and so I like, I think he likes games where he feels engaged and he feels a little bit, you know, a game like this where he's like under siege, like you said, I think he likes that because he's a ball of energy and I think he likes to be involved. And yeah, he was bantering with the Leeds crowd as well. Cause he, he always says like, I know if I give the crowd shit, I've got to keep a clean sheet. Otherwise I'm getting it back. And, um, um yeah. And and yeah, we we really saw that. But yeah, definitely in terms of the game management, I know like you guys have had some discussions about being worried about Ramsdale being injured. He's not injured. He's fine. He's fine. He's been going down for exactly the same reason that Xhaka has been going down most of the time. I think maybe the exception was that time again. <laughs> I the words at my mouth. Every time. <laughs> I was just about to say, oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I do think that was an exception and that was too early in the game and they didn't all, but there, there has been at least, well, I say at least, I think twice this season he's gone down and everyone sprinted to the touchline. That is 100%, a ta- a, I say a tactic, that is an understanding these players have that there are times where it's like, one of you go down and it makes the most sense for the goalkeeper to do it usually because they don't have to go off. So you keep your 11 on the pitch. But yeah, on this occasion, maybe it was like an emergency kind of uh, communion from Arteta and he couldn't shout loud enough to get yeah. to Ramsdale on this occasion. And and actually the time Ramsdale went down for treatment on this occasion, very, very warranted. Yeah, I mean, he got <laughs> when hit When he caught one between the, the legs. Yeah. And I, you know I what? I faking that. <laughs> you know what? I was talking, because uh, I was at the women's game last night, I was talking to someone from Arsenal Media who who showed me like um, the beginning uh, of, of Ramsdale's post-match interview, which didn't make uh, Arsenal.com, where the interviewer's just like, how are you feeling? And he just said, I'm, I'm feeling fucking sick, mate, because of <laughs> that blow he took. And that is the difference between a professional, because he gets up and makes the second save i promise you i thought that tim, happens I, to any of us tim i thought you were going to say that's the difference between the men and the women's game <laughs> I, I mean no I mean, well it is, it is. I, I wouldn't say that and to be honest i think there are a lot of women that would probably tell you that you know taking a i was going to say i think it is a is, fallacy is, uh, an urban myth <laughs> that it does not hurt to get hit there regardless of, of what you're carrying in that and look, area you, <laughs> you use the word fallacy not me um <laughs> oh, but, but yeah that's like lads, decorum. Re- 
yeah. Ramsdale oh, gets up <laughs> after that, and I promise you, like you have to be a bit insane to get up after taking a blow like that. And that's and that's where goalkeepers are probably separate as well. But let's be clear: this is the proof of why you should be rooting for Arsenal in the title and not Manchester City. Do you want human beings who, when they get hit in that area, go down and experience pain, or do you want robots like Holland who can get literally kicked squarely between the legs at full force and show no ill effects? The man is a robot. You should not be rooting for robots because, as we know, there will be a robot apocalypse and we will soon uh, be enslaved by them. Uh, Tim, I do want to talk tactics, though, and we'll, we'll uh, cycle this around a little bit. One thing we saw against Liverpool, and this was very clear on the rewatch because we rewatched both halves, um, it was a tennis match at times. Liverpool are very much not afraid to go long. They are direct. You know, we think of Liverpool as playing great football. When their gag impress isn't working... One of their plan Bs is to go direct. It's how they beat City. <laughs> it's a long ball that Salah does just unbelievably well. Um, Leeds are pressing. Leeds are not City. There was probably some room to exploit. I think we probably tried to play into the teeth of the press a little too much in this game and maybe didn't try to give Saka or Martinelli the chance to run the channels or give Jesus the chance to win some some balls up front, even though, again, it wasn't his game. I think we played into the zones that they wanted us to play. And maybe the string we need to add to our bow is to realize, because, look, in the first half, there were some times we played some back-to-front football that was amazing. But when leads were really coming at us, could we have maybe just tried to exploit the space more directly? Because it was the giveaways that were killing us. And, and I just sort of, it's hard to see on the TV, right? Because you don't get the whole pitch view. I, I'm guessing there was probably some space that we could have exploited with a little more direct football. Yeah, I I completely agree. I I think there's two things here. One's related to Arsenal and one's related to Leeds. I'll start with the Arsenal one. Um, To cycle back a little bit on the conversation, I I think it was... I don't want to over-egg it by calling it a mistake. I don't think we should have played Tommy Asu at left-back. I think it made perfect sense for Liverpool. We've seen this from Arteta a lot. He does like to reward players who play well by picking them in the next game. I didn't think that was the right pick on this occasion, particularly when you're playing a team that presses a lot. You do not want, as as good as Tommy Asu is with his left foot, and you guys have already covered this, you don't want guys coming in to the press. You don't want that. And I also think what we lost by not playing Tierney is exactly what you're describing there, the big diagonal. Mm. You're not going to get the big diagonal from Tommy Asu. You're just not, um, which is fine. Ben White can do it. He was a little bit off. In fact, he was more than a little bit off. A bit like Gabriel Jesus, this is the first time this season you can say Ben White was a little bit off. Can I ask you and something s- real quick, just to stop you for a second on Ben White? when Because we talked about this in the instant reaction. When he came off, it looked like he was about to throw up. I don't know if he was just super tired from an energetic game or if there was something wrong with him. Did you get the same sense? Because he looked he looked like literally something was not right with him. I, I, I th- I, maybe. I think he was just tired. He's played pretty much every game this season. Fair enough. Okay, sorry. Um, just, but, didn't Arteta whack him in the chest or something, which is not something yes, you do when did. somebody's sick? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Okay, go on. Yeah, yeah. So, so I think we lost a bit of a potential exit, particularly a direct one, or even just getting Tierney running up the line. I, I know he came yeah. on later in the game, but I think the pattern was set. I think we lost a good exit a wide exit Mm. um, there. But I also think, um, you know, to cycle back again to what I'd said in the WhatsApp about Leeds, a bit like um, Paul, when I listened to the pod last week, I did a bit of reading up on Leeds um, and they're unbeaten at home or they're not anymore. They beat Chelsea Um, 3-0. They beat Chelsea 3-0. And one of the things Jesse Marsh said was he felt that maybe that victory came too early Mm. because the world was watching. 
um, kind of thing. Now, to be fair, most of their home games have been draws, so they haven't been walloping everyone there, but they're difficult to play there. But the thing about Bamford and Rodrigo, it basically goes like this. Bamford is completely suited to the way Leeds play. They rely on high turnovers. They want to nick the ball off you and slip it in behind. And he's always on the shoulder. He's always looking to get in the penalty area. He suits them down to the ground. Rodrigo is a better all-round footballer and he's in better nick at the moment. Like Bamford was injured all of last season. He's not really fit yet. Rodrigo's in much better nick, but much better shape at the moment, but he doesn't suit the way they play because he wants to come back and play some football, basically. And so that's why I always felt they'd share the game because Bamford, and Bamford, as we saw, thankfully in this game, is really off his finishing at the moment, whereas Rodrigo's finishing. So Leeds have got this whole dilemma. I was looking at basically why they haven't been playing well recently and they've got this dilemma up front where they've got a, a forward who's a good footballer who's playing well that doesn't suit their style and they've got a forward who really suits their style but isn't isn't on it. And what they did in the second half when they brought Bamf- Bamford on, that changes things for Leeds because he mm. suits them because he is the guy that pushes your your line back. And you saw us going much more in retreating much more into our own penalty area because he stays on the edge of the area. He is not interested in the build up. He wants those channels. He wants the penalty box. And that caused us problems. That allowed Leeds to be more direct and it allowed them to really turn the press on. And, you know, you when they leave a guy forward, you've got to leave a guy back and that takes a guy away. And and I, I really think that substitution massively, massively changed things. But fortunately, it was borne out in that Bamford caused us all sorts of danger, but he didn't have the finish on it other than the goal that was disallowed. I completely agree with Paul's assessment for that. I think that is 100% a foul in every single area of the pitch. If that happens in the centre circle... That is a foul. If it happens in the area, it's a. F- I thought it was a really, not really obvious. It was a. It was a push in the back. That's why it's given. It's not a shoulder. It's a push in the back. Hundred percent a foul. But that. That's why I think we we denied ourselves an exit by playing a right footer at left back, and they made a switch that that pushed us backwards, mm. and that, a- and that stopped us getting the exits that you're talking about. I think. Yeah, I mean, look, we got pounded 2.2 to 0.5 expected goals. Now, if you take the penalty away, it's more like 1.5 to 0.5. So something to consider, which ironically is pretty darn close to the exact same thing they did to Chelsea, 1.9 to 0.7, except they win that game 3-0 and they lose this game 1-0. And those are just some of the things that have to happen. And again, to my earlier point, all of your players matter. Gabriel matters. Ramsdale matters. On this day... They win us the points, in my view. Um, There is a moment in the 89th minute, though. Aronson pulls it back to Somerville, and he should score. He should score. And they they had a few moments like that. But one of the reasons that they sit where they do in the table is that they don't have Holland. They don't have Salah. They don't have Saka or Jesus. You know, they don't have these kind of players. And, you know, we know this from XG. We know this just from watching football. Even the should score moments still aren't easy to score. They just aren't. You know, he's somewhat near the top of the box on an angle. He's got to find a, pl- a way past Ramsdale, and he doesn't. So then the moment comes, Clive. And it's it's one of those moments where my emotions changed, my thoughts on it changed in real time. Gabriel goes down, he kicks out, he gets a red, and they get a penalty. In that moment... My reaction was, 
and I think I tweeted this almost exactly. That is a really stupid, silly moment of emotion from Gabriel that he has to control. And yet, it is never a red. It is never a penalty. I think Gabriel does somewhat kick out. I think it's really risky. I think it is a sign of a player who plays right on the edge of being in control of his emotions, and we've seen that all season long. But I think the call is right. And it is pretty ridiculous what was given on the pitch, but I think you have to give them credit for overturning it on review. And I do just wonder, you guys, we always complain, Arsenal don't get any calls, we don't get any calls. Well, we're getting calls this season. We got a call that won us the Liverpool game. I think we would have won it anyway, but that's beside the point. We got a call in this game that wins us the points. Does being in a title race, does being viewed as good change the way you refereed? We haven't been good in a while. But you know what? When there's a title race on the line with the decision, maybe it goes a little differently. When you're viewed as being good, maybe it goes a little differently. I feel that maybe the, the referees are starting to referee us a little differently. We'll see how that pans out. But, but Clive, this is, this is never a red. This is never a pen. How do you see it? And do you think it still requires a little introspection from Gabriel, though, given the extent to which this was very, very borderline and could have cost us the points? Yeah, I think... Gabriel had a fantastic game, and uh, but a lot of people have got this memory in their heads. It's all they were, and yep. that's absolutely fine. Yeah, that's just human behaviour. It's a it's a shame um, for me because this was a game to sort of stamp out the uh, the rumblings that are out there around him. Um, suited him very very well, as you guys spoke to really well earlier on. Um, I my feeling on it was this is what used to happen to us all the time, travelling up north big atmospheres, and every decision seems to go like this against you and the crowds are putting the referees under pressure. If you're a linesman four feet away from those guys standing behind you, it's really tough, right, to stay the right side. And he saw the incident, he saw the kick out, and he called his referee over. And the referee, by the way, gave us the maximum punishment. And this is a, this is literally a season changer for us because they get the draw, we lose Gabriel for three games. Three games, right? And we haven't really got a left foot replacement for him. And that's a, that's a season-changing moment. Um, but fortunately, and I'm a big, you know, I'm not a fan of VAR uh, stopping the, the Man City goal, you know, for me. That little soft foul in there. I wasn't a fan of VAR uh, stopping the Martinelli goal at um, Old Trafford because I feel the referee refereed those moments and now you're re-refereeing a, a collision where you've let it go and you've said play on, blah, 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 and suddenly you come back when the ball goes in the net. So you're, refere- you're doing the VAR, you're refereeing on outcome, and that's not really fair, right? So, but on this case, I really felt strongly that um, VAR saved us, man. It really did save us because that we're not getting anything without that. We're, we're going home, licking our wounds, same old arsehole, couldn't handle it under any pressure. Down to 10 men again. The, the old how many red cards under Arteta comes out, blah, blah, blah. So huge, huge, huge change of fortunes. But hopefully, I watched Arteta going around the team, hugging everybody. I don't think he gave Gabriel the biggest hug in the world, if I'm honest with you. And um, I'm hoping somebody <laughs> is going to sit him down and say, just play out that again every week. But you can't let that happen. I think he called yesterday earlier. He said, why don't you just lay on the floor, hold your face? Do you know what I mean? And uh, 
and let the referee deal with it. Don't kick out and give an opportunity to change the day. Yeah, go down there hard. Yeah. Get a card for Bamford. Slow the game down. I mean, you're 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 going to use up almost all of the stoppage exactly. time just laying on the floor there with how hard he pushed you. And, and mate, yeah. just lay down there and just don't move and let the, let them all fight around you, or you just stay out of the way. He'll learn that, but if he don't learn it now, you know he ain't gonna learn, is he? You know, this is the moment to sit him down in that in the all or nothing. They sit you down in that room, <laughs> and they get the clips out, <laughs> and I'll get that clip out and say, "Mate, what's this? Uh, you've got thirty-five million Arsenal fans around the world hanging on this moment. You, you can't let that happen again. No chance." He was our second leading passer. He passed at 90%. He had two ball recoveries, one aerial duel, uh, one aerial duel that he won. He had three successful tackles, three interceptions, four blocks, including two that were absolutely heroic, four for four on clearances, two for two on headed clearances. He was fouled three times. I mean, I I feel that he was the outfield player man of the match, and he could have lost it for us because of temperament. That's the kind of thing that you know used to be Shaka's issue. Now, that's moving its way, you know, to Gabriel. And I, I ultimately, I think, I think he's underappreciated. I think he's undervalued. I think center back pairings are about styles. If we're going to be all the way up the pitch, Saliba is obviously going to shine. When we're pushed back a little bit more, I think Gabriel's your man. And I think Saliba had an off day today, not getting a ton of attention because he's he's the darling, and rightfully so. The guy is a, a world class superstar. But I think Gabriel is an important part of this back four, an important part of this pairing. And as long as he can keep those emotions in check enough, I think his football is good enough to get us where we want to go. Paul, I don't I don't have a problem with Gabriel. I never have. He needs to cl- clean some things up for sure. He's not perfect. I mean, you know, Van Dyke is a lot better than any other center back that played next to him during Liverpool's run. And we've seen City have a dominant center back, right? We've seen these teams that go on to do big things have dominant center backs. There's usually a guy next to him who's pretty good, and when he's gone, and the guy, the next backup has to step up, it doesn't. It's not the same. I, we're in a weird position because we tend to rate Ben White pretty high, we tend to rate Tomiyasu pretty highly, so we're ready to drop those guys in at a moment's notice. But I, I am still of the opinion that Gabriel is the right man for that job. He just needs to play with a little more of that equanimity that 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 Saliba seems to have. Just borrow a little of that calmness, you know. Yeah, look, it's a very interesting psychological problem because it's it's just not easily solved, right? He doesn't know that's about to happen. He's he's thinking this is going well, handle it. You know, uh, as Bamford's running towards him, he's kind of contained. He, he kind of makes his body big. Uh, he's got this under control. But as soon as he's knocked on the ground, the red mist that we have seen over the last decade with one player or another, like he has the baton these days. He's the most likely to flare up. And I, I get why people are scarred from this. I mean, the game is won and everything's safe. And suddenly we all thought we were screwed. Like, yep. we, And I do think uh, I kind of put four buckets together as to what, our season's about, I think it's about our attacking, which is really good, our defending, which is really good, our ability to handle transitions against us, which we've seen against some of the bigger teams, is a an area we need to work on, and expected shithousery. And as you got, as you guys have said, like he had the chance, he what he should have thought when he got shoved was, I got him. I got him. Exactly. 
Exactly. And he didn't. He lost his mind. Now, uh, shouldn't have been a penalty. Shouldn't have been a red card. But, like, it was a penalty and a red card because uh, you put yourself in that situation where you flare up, you've lost yourself. And he's lost his mind afterwards as well in terms of how upset he is with the ref. And Chaka handles that really well, which is irony upon irony. But I, I did say at the start of the season, I think the, that Chaka's in a much calmer place because things are going well for him. He's well-regarded, well-loved. And like the flare-up point for us is Gabriel. And this is a long season. And we lost him a couple of times last year because like he, it's great that he plays with all that intensity and emotion and... But man, you gotta. You had Bamford. You got him to shove you. You could have cost a minute, two minutes. You could have like just taken them out of the game, but you put them in the game. Yeah, it's interesting too because it's funny how we we think of players a certain way in the moment and a different way retrospectively. Because like Vieira, Patrick Vieira, he loved a red card. <laughs> And he's regarded as one of the greatest ever Arsenal players. How would he be viewed today if it was a critical point in the season and Patrick Vieira was getting one of his red cards? You know, would Twitter be losing its mind? Would we be talking about, he just needs to control his emotions. He's, he's costing us too much. Like, I, no. He was, also pre, Patrick I, I he was also but, pre-social media age. And, yeah. Uh, like, I do That's think that I mean. it has some, some impact on how you get raked over the coals and how it That's never sure. dies. Yeah, well, so that that's what I want to come to next, Tim. This idea that we often hear it said that it's so important to be able to win ugly, to win, you know, to win games when you're not at your best. And like, of course, because you'd rather do that than lose games when you're not at your best. But what's better is to be at your best. You can't be at your best every game, though, so then you have to find a way through. I'm torn on this game because I'm not sure it's a game that we gritted out a win. I think it's a game where, like they missed their big chances. You know, they missed a penalty. Somerville misses, right. So th- there are definitely some moments. Ramsdale was brilliant. Gabriel saves our ass at times. I don't know if we managed the game as well as we could. I think, as I said, we could have gone long, but I do want to say this. Do you remember the Emery winning streak? The long winning streak. And we came on this pod and quite frequently criticized wins during that win streak. And people didn't love that. Like, what do you want us to do? We're winning the games in front of us. Sure. The problem was that the way we were playing, everyone could see we weren't very good. And the concern was if we don't start to correct these things over time, not being very good is going to lead to not winning games. Because if you keep playing poorly, eventually you will stop winning games. The reason I love this game and do not feel the way I did during the Emory win streak at all is very simple. This is the opposite. This is a team that has won 12 of 13 games playing the best or second best football in the hardest league in the world. Our principles and our approach are the reason we are top of the Premier League, having won nine of ten games, in, in including wins over Liverpool, who just beat City, over Spurs, who are, they're amazing, even though they haven't even hit their best yet, right? Like, we, we beat those teams, and we deservedly beat those teams. My feeling is, if you are consistently playing poorly and getting away with it, that's not a good thing. If you are consistently playing great and have an off day, don't overthink the off day. Our approach is why we're top of the league. If we overthink this and change our approach, what's the what's the upside? Are we going to be better 
the nine wins out of 10, are we going to be better? There's no way we're going to be better. So stick with the approach. Trust that it works. This is an off day. Resign it. Memory hole it. Get rid of it. Get fresh and go again. I think, Tim, this is one of those games where you have to look in the broader context of how we're playing. And much like the Emory win streak in reverse, you have to say we've been so good. Don't don't let this be a reason to start thinking about needing to tweak it or change it. Just get rested, get ready, and go again. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I think sometimes um, defeats, victories of a certain flavor, they need time to breathe. Mm, you need yeah. a little bit of time to see the proper context. If we play like shit in our next two games and lose them, we'll say, I think with some justification, we'll say, mm, signs were the there. Sign. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The signs were there. Mm-hmm. If we can just... Like like I said earlier, like block those two games off. They come as a pair. Thank you very much. Full return. Now we've got another two, three games that come as another block. Then 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 I think that's fine. And also like there's one kind of I think important test we've passed this season as well, which was the reaction to United because what happened last season was when we had a setback. They came in bunches, and I think that was the biggest test of our season. Like we played well at United. I think we we're unlucky to lose that game, but it, but we lost it. And it's like, okay, how do we react? How did we react? Straight back on the horse, playing like we were. Yep, keep doing this. We'll win most games. So really the, the question is, like, obviously we've won the last two games without really being able to play to our principles. Now, I'd, I'd box the Bodo game off because what we're trying to do in the Europa League is try and win the group at 70 to 80% tilt like it's just undeniable we are you are not going to see some of the performances we've seen in the Premier League in games like that you might sit you might sit against PSV on Thursday hopefully that's more a game where we're going to have to go full tilt we're trying to win the Europa League group without breaking too much of a sweat that's what we're trying to do that's what Man City are trying to do look at what they did last week they went to Copenhagen they left a couple of players on the bench they drew nil-nil but they earned the right to draw nil-nil because they'd won all their other games before that and that's kind of what we're trying to do as well but but really it's just a question like you say Elliot it's like on Thursday it's like right we're at home again we've you know we'll have had like four days and all of that Right, let's get back to let's get back to those principles. You're right. Nothing's going to change. Nothing should change in the approach and mm-hmm. and everything like that. I think this is a day to say, do you know what? We tried to play to our principles today. We couldn't. We found another way. Great. But we all know which one feels better both physically and mentally it yeah. feels better when you're 3-1 up against Spurs with 20 minutes to go and their manager throws throws a towel while waving a white flag saying we surrender we surrender please please we surrender that 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 kind of feels better if you're a player than the 94th minute and the referee looking at the monitor and you're filling your pants um so you know it's 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 definitely and and i also think the thing is as well as much as i think we were lucky in both games let's have it right Mm. um but teams have muscle memory and i think this has been a really important experience for us because the next time and and we should acknowledge i i've seen a lot of we wouldn't have won that game last season actually we kind of did wolves Villa away we won games like that last season and I think that muscle memory is useful for this team so the next time they go away and hopefully it won't be like a whole half like it was against Leeds but if it's 10 minutes to go and it's 1-0 and they put like a big fucker on up front and they're loading it into your box and you have to like you have to hit the Rob Holding button 
like the muscle memory is important and it's important for the belief of the team to be able to say, okay, we've been here before and we've come out with six points. And again, a bit like Clive said on the instant reaction, the other thing I think we might be or we should be doing is thinking, look, we're probably going to play in the Champions League next year. Let's be confident about that. Let's own that. You know, we're going to have to go Wednesday. And sometimes it's going to be Wednesday night away at X, Saturday lunchtime away at X. And you're going to have to, you've got to go through that as a team. And so I think this week, even if we've gotten away with it, if we're honest, I think that's really important for the team to go through this, to come out with a positive experience. So the next time it inevitably happens, we can say, been here, done that, got two one nil wins. We can do it again. Yeah, and I got to say, I, I think this is a game we used to lose because the decision, critical decision, would go against us, or the goalkeeper would make a, a a huge mistake, or a defender would do something silly. It's a game we used to lose because of those critical moments. We didn't have players that could pull it off. We didn't play well, but when the game was on the line, Gabriel was there to make a block or Ramsdale made a save or came out and stopped it, or a refereeing decision went our way because we're not in eighth, we're in we're in first. And I'll be honest with you, if you want to say I hated this game, hate this game if you want. If we played this way and won to stay seventh, we're having a very different conversation. We won to go four points clear at the top of the table. If that doesn't get your blood pounding, maybe rethink what the goals are. And I'll finish by saying this. The narrative was Arsenal didn't play anybody. Arsenal didn't play anybody. Then we played somebody. Then the narrative is we got refereeing decisions or whatever the hell it is. You know what Manchester City have played? Manchester City have played Newcastle. They drew. Manchester City have played United. They won at home. And they played Liverpool away. They lost. They lost to Liverpool away. They drew Newcastle. They beat United. Those are the teams they played. You know who else they played? Bournemouth, Forest, Wolves, Southampton. They haven't played anybody either. Do I think City are fantastic? I think they probably are. Do I think City are the way people are making it out that there's nobody else in the league even competing with them? Not remotely, because they played three hard games, if you consider United even hard. They've drawn one, won one, and lost one. We've played three hard games. We lost one and won two. I don't know. You tell me. You tell me. Are are, Are they clearly what we think? I mean, maybe they are. I don't know. Maybe they are. They also drew away to Aston Villa. If we got, if we did that, if we dropped points away to, to a, a bat, well, that proves it. They're not real. And I get, look, by the way, anybody that doesn't trust Arsenal in the position we're in yet, of course I get it. But Clive, the final point on this is like context matters. You win your eighth ugly game in a row to stay sixth or something. Yeah, you got to talk about how you're shit. You win your first ugly game of the season, having been good all season, to stay top of the league and stretch your gap at the top of the league. Stretch your gap is its not the best turn of phrase if I think about it. Stretch the gap at the top of the league to four points over a city team that supposedly is infallible. That matters. And I, I think it's a game we used to lose for the reasons I set forth, and we should celebrate that we won it because, to me, there's enough evidence this team is good, and I'm willing to leave my inquiry there and be really excited about the position this has put us yeah, in. Yeah, I don't buy the general narratives. Even pre-season, I, I didn't buy it. I didn't buy that Liverpool would just stroll into it. I thought there were a number of teams in transition, and and I think football now is becoming it's becoming an event 
every game is feels like a World Cup quarterfinal. It's an event every week, and every week brings you a new set of narratives. Don't set your narratives ahead of time, right? So I, I think that's where we are. I think for me, how we're playing is wonderful. The maturity of our wide men is really, really good. Jesus has been fantastic, added physicality and, and belief. Our ball progression and improved physicality at the back end of the pitch is obvious to everybody else. And the reposition of Ben White has really added something new to us. So we've really made a massive step forward. Where we still have some convincing to do is on the next layer. You know, we've got work to do with Sambi. We've got work to do with Vieira, who's showing promising signs. Smith-Rowe's injured. Elneny's injured. You know, Zinchenko's injured. You know, these are key, key players. Marquinhos is a big gamble, you know, and... um. And how much we're going to lean into him? There's still work to do there. The gamble's the wrong word, right? It's it's a project, and um, we need to build him up. And we've got some young players, even younger than that, and they're not. They're most of them are out on loan. Eddie still needs to do what he did at the end of last season. So we are, we're there with a group. You know, Tom Yasu, Tierney, Top. We're there with the group, but there's still work to do developing that under layer. Right, and that's where my head is, and how we manipulate the loan market in January. What we decide to do um, to see if this is our window for us will be defined by where we are before the World Cup comes along, and then we have six weeks to sit there to the January transfer window opens to say, what do you want to do? What do you want to be? Do we bring a signing or two forward, and maybe pay for it over the over the number to really grab the opportunity that potentially could be presenting itself to us. That's where I am with it, mate, at the moment. Yeah, well said, Clive. Paul, final thought? Yeah, quick one, um, because it probably there's probably causes for it that are interesting to talk about. But, like, we drew three games last season. Basically, we won or we lost. Across all leagues, all major leagues across Europe, we're the only team that only had three draws. Teams draw five, seven, nine, eleven, uh, and they're still in the top four. Uh, we have drawn no games this year. Uh, I've made my peace with the fact that you're going to lose some, which feels a lot worse than a draw. But if we keep winning most games and losing an occasional game, we're going to have a hell of a season. I don't know. Don't quite know the reasons for it. There was a lot of talk last week, last year about, oh, if we hadn't lost that game but drew up, but we we won a shitload of games. Keep winning most games and losing an occasional game. Don't lose your shit. Keep playing the way you play. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of reasons for it. First of all, just do the math. Give yourself an example, like seven wins and three losses, five wins and five draws, which feels better. Well, the seven wins is more points, you know? And then also, I think the point is that when you play to win and you play the style of football that can win a match, sure, it's higher risk, so you might lose the occasional match, but it's a better way to accumulate points. And we will see that proven out because Spurs are playing the way they play, we're playing the way we play. Let's let's see. Both are working at the moment, but we will see how uh, how it goes. I think that's a good chat for there. We're gonna. I've been told by Clive we're doing a rewatch, so please join us on Patreon for that. Um, uh, that's going to bring them in. Katie, bar the door, as they say in the southern part of America. If you want to know what that means, you can message me on social media. Remember to enter at competition at arsenalvisionpodcast.com and tell me how many losses Arsenal had in the 2003-2004 Premier League season or which is your favorite Tottenham Premier League title. So, uh, for a chance to win a pair of Brighton tickets. Pause on Twitter. Pause on my pants. Thanks, pause. Woohoo! Clive's on Twitter. Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much.
Tim's on Twitter at Stoberto. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. My name's Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Get on that if you haven't done it already. We love you, and we will talk to you after Arsenal 10. PSV nil.